0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Done there That's a song called Mystic Highway Off his latest album Called Wrote a Song For Everyone Sixteen great songs Fourteen guest artists And some of John's Best classics Redone with those Great guest artists So thank you very much John Fogarty For that <clears throat> Introduction of Mystic Highway And without further ado Let me just say That um, we're Bill and Jan Moore With A Smiling World We can be found At A Smiling World Dot org, And on that site, uh, we have a new addition to the site with our events. We're on a road show. We're in Denver, Colorado at the moment, and we're doing some events in the Denver area. And if you go to asmilingworld.org, you can find those under the Empowerment Training tab, or you can go straight to them by putting asmilingworld.org forward slash events, E-V-E-N-T-S. And those are our sites, and we also uh, do the Festival of Enlightenment. Uh, our, our guest today was actually a guest at the Festival of Enlightenment and a speaker who presented an outstanding presentation, and we're really, really excited to have her back with us today. And her website is the net, and she'll be reminding you of that in the show. Without further ado, I'm going to have Jan introduce her and let the two of them get together because she squeezed us into her schedule today with some great information. So, um, Jan, over to you.
2: Thank you, Bill. And, yeah, I want to um, give a really warm welcome to Dr. Lynn Kitai, who, as Bill said, we were very privileged to have as a speaker at the 2011 Festival of Enlightenment. And for those of you who aren't familiar Phoenix Lights, um, Dr. Lynn Keitai was a key witness to this historic and still unexplained mass UFO fighting throughout Arizona on March thirteenth, 1997. So today, what I'm going to ask Dr. Keitai to share with us is not only the experience that she had in witnessing this amazing sight, uh, along with approximately 10,000 other people, but also in her role as a spokesperson about extraterrestrial activity and a researcher into this, if she can share with us the, the the developments that have happened since 1997 in terms of UFO activity. So, Lynn, lovely to have you here. Welcome, and um, please share with us this amazing experience that you had back in 1997 as a witness of this incredible historic event.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, just to be clear, I've never said what these things are, only that they are. And it's time we get this topic out in the open and address it, accept it, and study it so we can find out who's driving these things as well as move forward in our own evolution. And hopefully we'll have time to, to get into that as well because it's certainly affected people as are other similar anomalies phenomena worldwide for centuries, um at a very, very deep level, which I know you guys are very interested in that aspect of uh the Phoenix life is a very important aspect. But for those out there that aren't familiar with what happened here in nineteen ninety seven, March thirteenth, nineteen ninety seven, over eighteen years now and there's still no explanation. Uh and it has become historic I have to say. Um while thousands of people were looking up at the sky, very clear, quiet night here in Arizona, uh, at the uh bopp Comet, which was very clear in the northwest sky. They also got a glimpse of a mile to two mile wide, in some very credible uh, reports, of either these orbs, these balls of light equidistantly spaced in a mile-wide V formation that seemed to be attached to something or at a force field holding them in rock-solid Information or actual craft, and there is so much mis and disinformation out there um just to describe what people saw for a second uh this these were totally silent, whatever people were seeing, and it was for many, many hours, not just one or two hours as you would read in the you know uh media and so forth um that's one of the main reasons I came forward after seven years I pushed my entire medical career. Uh, aside for seven years to try to find a logical source and meaning for what my husband and I, who's also a physician, uh, saw up close and personal and photographed two years before the mass sighting, but I'll get to that in a second. But getting back to the mass sighting, people were seeing these massive objects, aerial objects that were rooftop level, glided right over their heads. In fact, in our internationally award-winning documentary, we have witnesses uh military pilots a pilot that that talks about one of these objects and there were a number of them by the way that went right over his head and he looked into what he described as a well like a canister of spinning energy i mean it was just unbelievable some people actually saw these orbs these giant balls detached from the main object go out into the environment and then redock with it later While other people watched as these objects, an object would just, the the wings would kind of um, uh, go towards the center and then it would take off at blink speed without even displacing the air. I mean, the technology was just incredible. And we haven't seen any of this technology unless somebody's out there that that has uh, for over 18 years. But uh, these things are appearing worldwide, which is really interesting because when you look at the whole story, and how it unfolded, uh, it's its very intriguing. But first let me go back to the 1995 sighting, which, um, uh, by the way, was right outside our bedroom window. We live mountainside in Paradise Valley, have a panoramic view of the city skyline, and if you're near a computer and can get on the website, Phoenix Lights Network website, which, as um, Bill had mentioned, is www.thephoenixlights.net, and go to the uh, photo page, you can see some of the unique collection of Phoenix Lights data that I've had analyzed by university and military uh, confirming that they are true unknowns. But at any rate, you all, there's also a picture there. The first picture shows the topography, and you can see the view from our home, which is pretty high on the mountain. And, and we know what uh, helicopters and streetlights and car lights, we look at the uh Uh, sky harbor international airport from our view so we're quite familiar with with the lights out there and this was very very different it actually was very close um about 100 yards from our home three amber orbs in a pyramid formation one on top and two closely aligned underneath one of our walls in our bedroom is a window so anything that pops up out there we see and my husband actually called me out of a bath to to take a look at uh, these three oars, which were a little below us, over a very private, treacherous, gated uh, residence. And, um, you know, I immediately looked underneath to see if anybody was creating them, and it was just pitch black. And then I thought they were about 50, 75 feet off the ground, excuse me. (coughs) And I thought to myself, you know, I wanted to get my video camera because I actually have been donating my time and monies and so forth the last 40 years to community education of the reality of vital health issues and have curriculums out there on AIDS and teen pregnancy and substance abuse currently being distributed by Discovery Education. Um, So my first thought was to grab my video camera, but it was downstairs, and I didn't want to miss anything. And you'll hear that over and over again when people have these kinds of sightings. They're just rock solid. They're just in awe, and they don't move. And that's that's what happened to me. I mean, I tried to take everything in mentally, the size, the shape, the color. They were about three to six feet each, They, depending on how close they were. They were actually oval-shaped, like an egg on its side, and there were three distinct objects, one on top and two closely aligned underneath. And I call them an orb because the light did not extend outside the edge. It was self-contained. And it was a uniform amber color throughout. And it's interesting that worldwide people will see these similar phenomena, and just the the color amber pops in in your head. It's not yellow. It's not orange. It's amber. But at any rate, it didn't glare at all. Every other light out there glared. These did not. They were very mesmerizing, very soothing. And as I'm watching them, I thought, oh, if I don't get a picture of this, nobody's going to believe it. So I go running to the closet to grab my 35 millimeter, which I keep there for uh, beautiful sunsets that we have here. I collect sunsets, and I actually have on that photo page, the last couple of pictures are of sunsets where there's a giant rod in the same exact location a month apart. Um, but at any rate, so I go to grab my camera, and my husband calls me back. He says, get over here quick. One of them is disappearing. And as we watched, and I I keep going back to the sighting because I saw it up close and personal, the orb, the top orb, did not budge from the other two, but it started to dim. Uh, it, it's hard to describe. It's like it started to implode very, very slowly, getting smaller and smaller and smaller, mechanically, as if there was an intelligence behind it until it was a small dot and then disappeared. But I have to admit that even though we didn't see it, it felt like it was still there. So where did it go? Okay, so I I run onto the balcony. I got a quick picture of the two bottom orbs, and that's on the website, and immediately noticed an eerie silence as if time had stopped. It was just bizarre and extraordinary. And as intently as I was looking at the two bottom orbs, and I didn't share this with anyone until after the mass sighting. a couple years later, it felt like something was watching me. And going through my head, I was thinking, who are you? What are you? Do you know that I'm here? I'd love to meet you. That's exactly what I thought. The next thing I remember, the left bottom orb started to implode, just like the top one did. And I quickly got a picture of that, and that was the only one that turned out at the time. I have that posted as well on the photo page on the Phoenix Lights Network uh, website, And for me, it was confirmatory because not only did we see something unusual, I got a picture of it while it was happening, but I didn't even know who to show it to. We had no interest or knowledge in this topic at all, and I just wondered for two years what this advanced technology was doing outside our bedroom window until two months before the mass sighting. And this is really important data. I always say the data speaks for itself, but I hope people will look at it. Because two months before the mass sighting, I saw these orbs, information, pop up at a distance. And whether it was a scientist in me or whatever, I felt compelled to document them on film, thank goodness. And the second night of which, I caught the same exact mile-wide phenomena that I would also capture on video during the mass sighting two months later, head on. Turning into a V, and I have to tell you, it was so unnerving. In fact, the first picture, and I posted a few of them on the website as well on the photo page. I was shaking. I tell, I mean, I was unnerving because not having an explanation for the 95 sighting it was like, what is this—a mothership or a fleet or whatever? Anyway, I kept clicking away and by the morning it was like okay somebody's got to have a logical explanation for this so i called the airport well first i called the the uh, newspaper and they and uh <coughs> and they had no idea they they said nobody called and i did call the night before as well so they said maybe luke air force base sent out experimental maneuvers which they do and they don't tell the public so i called them and i was trying to be very professional my husband and i are both physicians and we saw some strange lights in front of South Mountain last night. Sure, there's an explanation. Uh, do you have any idea what it might have been? And from the get-go, uh, the lady was really adamant. Uh, it didn't come into the her River Basin. It didn't come out from here, so we had nothing to do with it. I said, "Okay, well, we did see something, and I got it on film." Um, who would know anything? She said it was near. You said it was near the airport. Maybe somebody saw something there. So I called the airport. <laughs> and found air traffic controllers that actually saw the same thing at the same time, and they admitted to me that it was hovering over Class b restricted airspace, a thirty mile radius around the center of the airport. Anyone that calls into that airspace much uh, comes into that airspace, particularly a thousand feet altitude as these were, must call into the tower, and no one did. So they got alarmed, and they looked on radar, did not show up on radar. They got their high-powered binoculars to look, and in their own words, described six points of light, totally equidistant from each other, a massive span over a mile wide, that seemed to be attached to something, but they couldn't quite see what it was attached to. And you would hear this again by thousands of people two months later during the mass sighting, that actually turned against the wind, and one of them was a meteorologist, so he knew what he was talking about and then elevated slowly as a unit and moved behind South Mountain. So I said, so what was it? And one of the air traffic controllers says, beats me. I said, you're air traffic controllers. You're supposed to know it's in our airspace. They had no idea. They ruled out every conventional possibility, aircraft, balloons, blimps, even skydivers with lights and, and Chinese lanterns that you hear so often and could not come up with anything uh that was logical or or earthly and we kept in contact and uh I kept photographing these phenomena up into and including March 13th when thousands of people were seeing what I saw I didn't realize that and by the way uh Jan and, and Bill there were so many coincidences I do not believe in coincidences anymore so many so many serendipities um one of them I'd, I'd like to share which I think you guys would find really interesting is that six months before the mass sighting, I was invited to present my substance abuse prevention education program at the Gila Bend Indian Reservation, which is in the basin between South Mountain, which is just south of the airport, and if you look at the, the picture that I posted on the photo page, you can see there's, that's, that's on the left side, and the Estrella Mountain Range, which is some miles back, but they're intersecting at one little point, which is on the right side, the Australia Mountains, or the mountains on the right side of the picture anyway. After the mass sighting, um, I noticed that these pictures kept on showing that I was taking that these phenomena are popping up right there, where South Mountain and the Estrellas intersect. So I called them up and I said, did anybody happen to see strange lights on March 13th? And they started to giggle. And I said, is that funny? And they said, are you kidding? We've been looking up at them for centuries. We call them sky people, light beings. It's part of their culture. I had no idea. Uh, And when I started looking into it, I started finding that indigenous cultures worldwide not only... Uh, believe that there are other intelligences out there but that they're visiting us here and they're with us right now and some of them think that these orbs are ancestors giving them motivation and comfort and inspiration and I've certainly been inspired by whatever I saw to to, uh, to share what what's going on here but at any rate they also said that the Estrella's got its name because it means star in Spanish and they believe that there is a gateway to the stars that there's portal or gateway in that area so i found that very interesting have you heard that along the way
2: well yes and uh, i mean we've been fascinated by by this and i must say you know meeting you and having you at the festival and and learning so much from you about this phenomena really uh, inspired us to go and learn as much, as much about it so um And we were at Roswell not long ago because Bill wanted me there to to meet my relatives, as he jokes, because he called me a Uh mutant alien. And, you know, that was really interesting as well because it brought out, you know, the history across centuries of the mention or the appearance of what appeared to be extraterrestrials in so many um, pictures, you know, archetypes, things like that, that... Uh uh, It surprises me, well, maybe it doesn't surprise me, but this determination by the governments of the world to discredit these sightings and these phenomena when there is so much evidence out there, if you look, to say that, you know, these beings have been with us, you know, over so many years.
3: Absolutely. Uh, In fact, they've been written about since human documentation began. I mean, you can even find... Caves, primitive caves in Pakistan and Peru of long-extinct animals, and yet they have what we would call UFOs and depicted, you know, etched out in the stone. And and also the Native Americans mentioned uh, that, uh, you know, there are petroglyphs right on South Mountain and the estrellas that show, I have pictures that show, Exactly what my husband and I saw of these three uh, orbs in a triangle formation or pyramid formation, and so these have been around for a long long time. They're in the writings of the Sumerian writings and India writings, and all around the world, people were talking about the same thing, which is really you know amazing when you when you look at the data and then even in the Bible, Ezekiel's wheel and so forth. And then in the 15th and 16th centuries, uh, you know, we see paintings and frescoes of people on the ground looking up at the sky um, at UFOs and even beings in the UFOs. I mean, where did they get that idea uh, if they yeah. hadn't seen something? And then yeah, interestingly, when... yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh,
1: so- sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I was just going to say that um, one of the things in Chariots of the Gods um, movie that came out ages ago. Um, I had that film, and I had also been in Mexico and seen one of those carvings, and it was interesting. They had a replica of it at the UFO Museum, and as you said, I was just going to confirm, there was no coincidences, as you said, because not only have we seen that in Roswell, but I just this morning was reading in a book we picked up in Roswell about the vortex in the Phoenix area where the traffic of of uh, of ships apparently comes. so it was like wow <laughs> and we just watched right. your updated movie last night so and thoroughly enjoyed the the 2009 update on that we were watching oh, on youtube great. and, yeah, and
3: uh, yeah
1: so so yeah we're we're with you 100% sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you No, Go that's ahead.
3: okay well first of all there's a lot more in the in the dvd Uh, uh, bonus features as well and and the the documentary just touches, it's really the tip of the iceberg but it's wonderful because of the fabulous people that came forward to to share their stories and the experts and so forth, there's much more in the book which was a 750 page journal, I pushed my entire medical career aside for four years to try to find a logical source and meaning after the mass sighting and uh, when thousands of people saw what I had been seeing and I have yet to find an answer eighteen years later. But ultimately after seven years of, of anonymity and meticulous research uh into the subject, I, I finally condensed the book to two hundred and fifty pages and now you know, and and came forward in two thousand and four and now it's in its third print and if we have time I can get into some of the newest material that I, I shared in the latest addition but i also wanted to mention you mentioned chariots of the of the gods um the author of that erg von Doniken um who i also talk about in the book uh, i will be speaking with uh presenting with in an upcoming uh conference called Contact in the Desert, which is uh during the memorial weekend, uh the twenty ninth to the thirty first I believe, and I'll be speaking on the twenty ninth, and also doing a workshop which I'm really gonna get into not only in my lecture, how the story unfolded through the media, which is so fascinating in and of itself but in my workshop, really getting into the coincidences and the, and the, how it affected people at a very, very deep level, not only in, in long term, but in real time, uh, if I can just mention here that during the mass sighting, <clears throat> and by the way, six months before the mass sighting, the movie Independence Day was real popular. And we're so inundated with threat, 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 and harm, 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 it's like, what's going to happen when you see something so huge and unusual? How do you think you're going to feel? And that's exactly what happened with children, who were usually the first ones to see this mile-wide V formation of lights coming towards them, and they got very excited, Independence Day, Independence Day. But as it got closer, interestingly, a calmness came over everyone, adults and children alike, and a connectedness to the phenomena some people even had telepathic messages not to worry that they're not here to harm us and after it passed they wanted to you know right after it, the kids wanted their parents to get in the car and and follow it which is really really interesting in real time and in long term that's even more significant because time and time again i'm still getting emails and messages from people and that was another reason i came forward after seven years of anonymity not only to get the information out there because there's so much mis and disinformation, and to set the record straight, but to also let people know that they're not alone, even though most anomalies can be explained, only a small percent cannot. Just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. So, you know, it's time we get this out in the open, as I mentioned at at the top, and, and really, address this in a scientific, logical way and stop with the ridicule and the snickering and, and all that. It's just ridiculous anymore. But anyway, uh, what's what's really interesting with the coincidences and so forth is that as the story unfolded, there was no investigation. No explanation. It was just uncanny. And there were, by the way, which we also have in the in the bonus features in the DVD. There were coincidences on March 13th that were pretty amazing. Number one, a satellite that is supposed to detect incoming missiles went dead that night. In fact, it was it was uh produced right here in Chandler, Arizona, and we got the word that that happened. Number two, there was an article that July, 1997, that didn't mention the Phoenix Lights in Scientific America, but that did mention that there were strange gamma rays that came into our atmosphere on March 13th, 1997. Also, if you remember that uh, then-President Clinton was with Greg Norman in Florida, uh, the golfer Greg Norman, and was rushed out and supposedly broke his knee, fractured his knee, and by the way, there were no photo photo ops of that. We looked it up, but nonetheless, we were told that he was rushed out to an undisclosed location on March 13th, 1997. And then we were also told, and again, this is speculation; I can't confirm it personally, that we went into Deathcon Three on March 13th, 1997. So there are some interesting coincidences that happened on March 13th, 1997. But as the story unfolded. Which is really important to note, because most people, unless they read my book, have no clue that this happened. Um, there was no investigation, no explanation until a front-page USA Today article came out on June 18th, 1997. Months later, that opened our sighting up to international scrutiny. We were deluged by media from all over the world, and once they started talking to the witnesses, there descriptions were so detailed and so heartfelt that they, too, were saying, why isn't there an investigation? Why isn't there an explanation? Then suddenly, and by the way, after that happened, I mean, like overnight, it was we didn't have social media at the time. It went viral From, from the next morning. It was on every morning show. Dan Rather, Peter Jennings, on and on. And by that late morning, the very next day, after nothing for months, Suddenly, we got an announcement that the then uh, governor, Fife Symington, was calling a press conference, an unscheduled press conference for that afternoon to announce the culprit, quote unquote, of the Phoenix lights. Now, let me, or the lights over Phoenix, is what he said. And by the way, it was not only, which I mentioned before, not only many, many hours starting at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Seen in New Mexico at 5:30 um, and uh, seven o'clock hour in California, the bulk of reports came in when people were outside looking at the hale Bob comet here in Arizona between eight and ten. But it continued. There were there was a commercial airline crew at 11:30 that saw it uh, on its way to California from Phoenix, uh, covering Las Vegas, and there was also um, at 5:30 the next morning, and there were people that were continually seeing it for hours. Um, at 5.30, there was uh, a, a Boeing crew coming into work who saw one of these mile-wide craft right over their tarmac. So it was for many, many hours, and there were many events happening at the same time. Uh, not only these orb formations, but multiple crafts. And if you go on the website thephoenixlights.net, and look up the GAP page, G-A-P. Um, the, the website's packed with information, but this is really amazing because it was a 12-year compilation of thousands of reports from the UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, as well as Arizona MUFON Mutual UFO Network, as well as Village Labs, which was the uh, computer lab clearinghouse here, of uh, thousands of reports, as well as uh, Councilwoman, then-Councilwoman Vice Mayor Frances Barwood, who was the only elected official in May because of so many constituents contacting her who innocently asked, she didn't see it, but she innocently asked for an investigation at a council meeting, and she was plastered to the wall. There was so much ridicule and snickering and jokes made about her and those that came forward. I was very happy to stay anonymous. But anyway, there was so much going on. On March thirteenth, so when he made the announcement, the lights over Phoenix. It wasn't just lights over Phoenix, but that nonetheless, that's what the uh, uh, the press conference was about, and everyone took it seriously. And he comes marching out, one of his aides, with an alien head costume, and made a mockery of the whole thing, which was really disconcerting, uh, not only for the witnesses, but certainly parents that were with children that saw this mile wide craft, and there were multiple crafts. The Gap investigation, and it wasn't put into the um, uh, report unless there were two or more people that saw the same craft. There were eight or nine different crafts. In fact, there might have even been ten craft because there was a new boomerang craft that that was described by someone covering Prescott Valley last year, and then we did a report, and serendipitously there was a lady that we interviewed here in Phoenix that saw the same thing in Phoenix on March 13th. So there were eight or nine at least, eight or nine different crafts. Now, whether it was one craft that could morph into looking differently or the perspective from where the person was standing – or a parade, which is what the investigators finally concluded after twelve years of meticulous investigation, that there were so many things going on at the same time, statewide and beyond, that it was really a parade on March thirteenth. But at any rate, after this press conference, it kind of put a lid on things. Um, but for those of us that were really, you know, disheartened by by this uh mockery, I called every military base, and I have some of their conversations in my book, which are kind of comical. They had no clue either. They were just as curious as the rest of us what happened on March 13th. And then suddenly I get a call one month later after the USA Today article on July 24th. From One of the heads of PR at the Air National Guard and she says, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I said, you do? And I was thrilled because I was looking for any logical explanation. She says, do you believe in all these months nobody ever looked at the log for visiting Air National Guard? and the Maryland Air National Guard was in town sending off flares, military illumination flares, Lutu illumination flares, in Operation Snowbird, which I later found out meant diversionary tactical maneuvers in military terms. And that must be what some people saw. That's what she said. So I said, well, you know, when were they in town? She said March 1st to the 15th. I said, were they in town in January? She says, oh, no. I said, are you sure? She said, absolutely not. I said, well, (laughs) I have 35-millimeter photographs of the same exact phenomena in the same exact location two months before the mass sighting, confirmed the next morning in each case by air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor International Airport as hovering over Class B restricted airspace 1,000 feet altitude, and she says,
2: you never told me
3: that. And then, uh, you know, I said, besides, you're trying to say that military illumination flares that we know drift and drop haphazardly within seconds have huge smoke trails that are illuminated by the flare itself. I mean, there's parachutes, and they just drift with the wind. And they're supposed to illuminate the area around it. That's what they're used for. And not one person, by the way, in 18 years described that characteristic. Traverse the entire state in a rock-solid, equidistantly spaced, mile-wide V-formation for hours. And then she says, uh, I've got a call coming in. I'll get back to you. Well, I'm still waiting. <laughs> okay, it's, it's laughable,
2: isn't it? I mean, I'm sitting here sniggering at the absurdity of it. No, and, it is. And it, it is. Yeah, yeah. it's similar to, you know, when we went to Roswell UFO Museum. Bill had been there before. It was my first visit. Um, you know, it was very similar in the way that they, um, the, the powers that be, the government, um, attempted to discredit what had happened at Roswell, which was trying to pin it onto a weather balloon, and, and this um, this approach, you know, in in trying to make it a, fl- a, a flare. Well, yeah, well really that's the thing. Yeah, that,
3: that's it, the thing. I mean, the only. You know, they could always blow off, and you have to, like, look at the whole picture and and think, well, how did they come up with this? Because, um, you know, they're, you know, on the other side, and I really don't get into the whole government cover-up. Actually, astronaut Edgar Mitchell, who is uh, in our documentary, and he was being conferred with during the mass sighting, um, has a very wonderful, poignant statement in the bonus features uh, on the DVD, talking about the government cover-up. I really don't get into it because I'm working at a grassroots level and they have a job to do and so do I. I mean, this is to help raise awareness and educate The public, if they care to look at it, okay. Everybody comes from a different background, a different upbringing, a different belief system. Some people can't deal with this. Some people don't want to, and that's okay. Everyone in their own time. But the information is there if you want to look at it, okay. But coming up with these other excuses actually helps people that can't deal with it at least get on with their life, okay, and not freak out. And I, you know, I wondered how do they come up with this flare thing? Well. They could blow off people's stories and, and say they didn't know what they were saying, okay? Uh, but they could not blow off the handful of videos. And that was really important because that was the only hard evidence, including my own, which uh, <coughs> usually was taken before 10 o'clock, and there was also an arrowhead of five lights that was taken before 10 o'clock. After 10 o'clock, there's two boomerangs that were shot. And um, they have become very controversial for the flares. That's the ones they really focused on as being flares. Now, there might have been, you know, flares deployed to divert attention away from the true unknowns. But I have to say, I haven't heard of one person that has described flare characteristics. But be that as it may, the point is that in the video, it doesn't do the true unknowns, justice. It, they're much smaller. They flicker. They're white instead of amber, but nonetheless, if you really look at the, the 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 videos, the formations themselves are very very compelling. Most people don't do that, okay? And it's very easy to feed into the flare theory. So I get it. Whoever came up to, with that was just brilliant because it, it's definitely till today. I mean, I I just did another radio program yesterday and we're still having inquiries about this the, the boomerang video which has been discredited as being flares and, and it's a shame that people focus just on that on that one video as being flares and that's the explanation for the whole sighting because it absolutely is not. Um, there is so much more to this story and uh, you know it's important for people to to understand that and that's why I came forward and actually Uh, You know, the more credible people that come forward and lend credence to this whole thing and add add data, um, the more we can really change what's what's happening out there. In fact, when I came forward in 2004, the accepted, and and the official, and accepted except for the witnesses and experts, of course, explanation for the Phoenix Lights was that it was just merely military illumination flares. You can only imagine how frustrating it was for someone like myself that saw these up close and personal in a no-fly zone and knew they were definitely not flares. Um, But nonetheless, that was it. That was it. I mean, they wanted to lay this to rest. And not only myself and and the dedicated work that we've been doing on the documentary and so forth, but the more credible people that come forward, in fact, the former governor, Symington, right after the 10th anniversary of the Phoenix Lights mass sighting, for whatever reason, came forward to say that he actually saw it and that it was otherworldly, quote-unquote. And he's military and and a pilot himself. And that really raised the bar. That really took it to the next level, because it was the first time that an elected official um, came forward to say that that he saw something like this and that it was real and that it was otherworldly. The other thing that happened was that three years after the mass sighting, and by the way, when they came out with the flare theory, it was like, okay, you know if there is a logical explanation if it was military um fine, I'm a healthy skeptic, but you know show me
2: and um and I, and
3: I have to say number one that I have thirty five millimeter documentation not only two months before the mass sighting of the same exact phenomena that I caught on video during the mass sighting confirmed by air traffic controllers as being in Class B research airspace but two years before. When we had the close sighting, if you go back to those pictures on the website, the phoenixlights.net website, and take a look at those, in the background are the same exact lights in a row disappearing in the same exact location then as well. And if you figure in that, hey, you know, people saw and, and described these orbs detaching from the main object going out in the environment and then redocking with it. Is that what happened in ninety five? It's a possibility. But nonetheless it's there, in, in the in the thirty five millimeter and and if we have time I'll get to how they were analyzed by Navy optical physicist Doctor Bruce McAbee and he came to a stunning conclusion in nineteen ninety eight. But at any rate, which I, by the way, I'm sharing the latest edition of, of my book. It's time now to, to get that out in the open. But at any rate, going back to Frances Barwood, um, <clears throat> who, again, was the only elected official who asked for an investigation, once they came out with the flair theory, she kept on asking for a reenactment. And most of us were. Fine. If it's military, do it again. Now, shame on them for going right over people's heads if it was military and then denying it. But, hey, if it if it was them, I'm open. Well, right before the third anniversary of the mass sighting, we get a big announcement on radio on TV and so forth that three Air National Guards were coming into town to send off flares to show everybody the Phoenix Lights. Okay, we were ready for them. And I have to tell you, <laughs> it was a joke. Now, if you go on the news page on the phoenixlights.net website, and scroll down, I think it's the second level there, to one box that is from AZ Family, uh CNN affiliate. They do a fabulous report that shows the footage of their flare drop. And they tried to make a triangle. It was upside down. It fell apart immediately. A smoke trail, just like what flares do, okay? And mm-hmm. to this day, no one has recreated the Phoenix Lights or explained them. But they continue to appear worldwide and and that's what's so significant is that now people will look up and it's and it's ten years later we'll look up in the sky uh since I came forward and say, "Whoa, well, there's the Phoenix lights, and if you go on YouTube." you'll hear people say that over and over again worldwide. They just I just got an email this past week from someone in, in uh the Philippines and even in the T V reports they talk about the, the uh the Phoenix sites, which is really rewarding because uh it's getting out there and people are learning about it worldwide. And you know, that's a that's a good thing. It's really amazing that, that that we've really come full circle with social media, which is fabulous too, because people can, you know, see things and, you know, document them on film and then post them in, in real time almost. But at any rate, getting, getting to some other issues that I think you guys would really appreciate, not only was there an impact in real time and long term with the witnesses, but what happened when I started interviewing witnesses was that a number of them had said to me that they had had near-death experiences as children it was reawakened by the mass sighting, and that really took me aback, because I did too, and I, we don't have time to get into it today, but um, I do, in detail in the book, my own childhood uh, experience, it changed my life forever, I mean, I I came back uh, with a worldview that I have I've held since I was eight years old, I thought everybody knew the secret, but I thought everybody was empathic and was psychic and so forth. But be that as it may, um, they were telling me that they had these experiences, too, which really blew me away because I thought, gosh, could there possibly be a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, or unexplained aerial phenomena that have a mystical light associated with the experience. And lo and behold, I have to tell you, I started finding such credible data. Again, I mean, once you start looking, you really start, I mean, of course, you have to be prudent and and uh, decipher the wheat from the shaft. But um, there were university studies, University of, of Connecticut, Dr. Uh, Kenneth Ring, called the Omega Project, four-inch book that I felt it difficult to get through. And I laid out very simply in the book and, and there were many, many more. Um, Dr. Uh, Raymond Saller and Dr. Bruce uh, uh, Grayson. I mean, there was there are people out there that have been studying all these unexplained phenomena, and it's very poignant because not only is the experience whatever the unexplained phenomena is, the experience is very similar, but even more profound, the after effect, the awakening, the enlightenment that happens within an individual who truly has an unexplained phenomena experience, is mind-boggling. It's, it's their worldview changes forever. In fact, I started calling all unexplained phenomena an UP, an, a UP, unexplained phenomena, because the connectedness to the universe and to the earth and to each other is so strong and so positive. They are changed forever. And, you know, we had people changing their eating habits to vegetarian. We had people going into the peace movement, into the environmental movement. the awareness of how we're all connected
2: was really,
3: really felt, and that we're not alone in the universe. And uh, so, you know, that aspect is really, really important. And, And as far as being alone in the universe, when you really look at, What's happening with uh the hubble and the and the Kepler telescope and what we're learning just in the past few decades about what's out there and that now NASA even admits that there are billions of other galaxies along with ours um with their own f- suns and their own planets around these suns and the ingredients for life are out there. I mean, we know amino acids and nitrogen and hydrogen and oxygen are out there and and that life is very viable everywhere. Not only from the frozen arctic lakes to the um to the to the hot springs of, of Yellowstone, but just a couple of years ago I did a uh I was asked to, to do a a uh, uh an interview with Megan Kelly and uh, astronaut Tom Jones concerning a NASA report that was coming out the next day and, uh, and of course you know their report was that they found and at which which I really you know, they they were talking about alien life found on Earth and you know, everybody got all excited and I thought, Well, you know, I my my I trust that the announcement's not gonna to be too big which it wasn't <clears throat> but it was it was big enough where uh they actually came out with the fact that um there were organisms found in a uh, uh arsenic uh lake here in in uh in America, and you know when you when you talk about that i mean that's you know i mean life can can live everywhere, so you know the bottom line is that uh you know we're very our our galaxy our our one Milky Way galaxy is about fourteen to sixteen billion years old our solar system is a very young solar system it's only four to six billion years old, so there are scientists now postulating that there could be intelligent, sentient entities billions of years ahead of us. I mean, think about that one (laughs) for a second. Mm
2: -hmm. And I must admit, you know, even when I was very young, it just seemed so illogical to claim that Earth was the only inhabited planet in the whole universe. You know, it just didn't make sense to me. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that we're very interested in is this whole ascension process that planet Earth and humanity is going through. And part of that is about becoming aware of much, much more than just a very limited view of Earth as, you know, a third-dimensional planet with nothing else out there. So, in all the research that you did, you obviously approached it very scientifically. Almost, you know, disprove this because you know I want some real validation of, of this sighting and what it represents. Do you have any opinion as to the intended purpose behind what you described as like a parade?
3: That's a really good question because you know what it comes down to. And again, I don't know what they were. I don't know where they're from, but I know that they are. Okay, I mean we can speculate that they're interstellar, interstellar, um, interdimensional for sure. I have to tell you. I mean, I saw it up close and personal, and they're interdimensional. At least the Phoenix Lights are. And by the way, I should mention too that, and that this is an important aspect to what you're asking. In over 18 years, there has not been one, not one report of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights. I can't speak for other things. But these are happening worldwide. They've been happening for centuries. And to my knowledge, there is not one report, especially of the Phoenix Lights in Arizona, of harm, threat, or abduction. And what's really sad, and I'll get back to your question in a second, and I just wanted to put this out there for the listeners, because hopefully um you know certainly they'll they'll be aware of this, uh, and you know hopefully the the community will be outraged because I am that there is a Hollywood and like I stated before, and we have this in the documentary, how they skew things to threat 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 and harm 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 um and give us a mindset of fear. Uh, there is the a Hollywood company and they had approached me last year actually to be a part of this and to be interviewed and I declined because what they're doing is actually basing, supposedly basing their movie and it's called The Phoenix Incident, it'll be coming out this year on the Phoenix Lights mass sighting very loosely but they take it to a whole different level of alien and military battles and abductions and which is you know, shame on them. I mean, to to use a benevolent sighting that hasn't had one report of anything but—and that's to answer your question—of waking people up, not only to their presence and that they're real, okay, but also waking us up to the fact that, that we are spiritual beings with so much positive potential, over and over and over again, as I described earlier, people are changed for the better because of the Phoenix Lights event. I have heard it over and over and over again. I mean, that, you know, you have to take note of that, that people were really touched at a very, very deep soul level. It changed their lives forever. They will never look at our world or our universe the same again because it's not a belief. It's a knowing it's a knowing that we're not alone, and it's a knowing that we have so much more potential that we're not being told that we have. Um, we are really being kept in the dark in so many ways, and the veil is lifting, and events like the Phoenix Lights are helping to do that. So to, to answer your question, um, you know, that that's what I think the, the main purpose of this, and it continues. I mean, we, you know, now that this is... Being acknowledged worldwide, and people are really taking note of the credibility of our mass sighting, and the, and the people that are, are feeling much more comfortable talking about it, and the more and more people that come forward with their own sightings, um, and again, most anomalies can be explained, but when somebody has a paranormal experience, it's real to them, and if you don't, and that was one of the reasons I came forward as a physician um to let people know it's okay to talk about this. It's important to talk about this because when you don't, it festers. That's not healthy. And even if you, you know, just contact me and message me on Facebook, Phoenix Lights Network uh page on Facebook or my email which is you can get me by email on our website, the um even if I'm the only person that you share with and I take confidentiality as a physician very seriously it's important to do so because it's healing and it's cathartic to share. So, you know, that's another aspect of the whole Phoenix Lights phenomenon that, you know, really has made it more mainstream to talk about it. And it's really gotten it out there that, you know what, we might not know where what it is yet or where they're from, but we do know that it is, and that it's important to get it out in the open and address it and accept it and study it, and enough with with the ridicule and the excuses and the debunking because people are getting wise now. You know, with the Internet and social media getting all this information out there, um, it, it's not so easy for the powers to be to just blow this off, because people are not blowing it off anymore, and people are no. taking it more seriously. Yeah,
1: Lynn, I, I was going to jump in here. Um, <clears throat> you said the name of that film they were producing was The Phoenix Incident?
3: The Phoenix Incident, and it's, it's really yeah, I have so a, disconcerting I have a that comment. people would do that. I'm sorry?
1: Yeah, it is, and I have a very strong comment, I think, on that. There is a massive global movement going on right now against <laughs> people like Monsanto Corporation, Poisoning right. the Earth... Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. coke and pepsi putting things in that are harmful there is a massive conscious awareness uh, Mm -hmm. developing of all of this nonsense that is being Mm -hmm. fed to us to keep us living in a fear mode which makes us controllable as slaves to the system and I think um, this is a great opportunity and if you disagree with me please do but I think this is a great opportunity for every single person listening to this show to encourage everyone they know not to go to the theaters and watch this film. Because if the film fails financially, it sends a very strong message to these people who try to force us to live in fear or try to poison us that we are voting with our dollars, as it were, to say no more.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I, I would really encourage everyone to
1: to not to not uh, succumb to going to the movie theater and sensationalize it. Instead, watch the Phoenix Lights and look at the good side, because well, that's it's
3: the good energy I hope. That it's going to evolve. <laughs> yes on a, on a positive note that's what i hope that um because there are many people that don't know about the phoenix lights so unfortunately which i find horrifying um they they might think that the movie is real even though it's fictional um but hopefully it will you know really people to look at the real data and be able to see that um that you know what there's a lot more to this story, and what they're showing is total fiction and not true, and really just look at the data and that's why you know I'm doing what I'm doing, and I'm also by the way <coughs> excuse me working on a curriculum a comprehensive curriculum for kids, 4th to 12th grade. You mentioned, uh, you know, kids are so open to this. That's what prompted me to do um, my documentary in the first place because I was invited after I came forward uh, by some parents that had seen me at Barnes & Noble uh, with the book uh, to come present to 200 middle school kids. And I have to tell you, I walked into this auditorium, you could hear a pin drop. They thirst for this knowledge there is and it was the first time that i realized that there is nothing Nothing in our history books about this topic, and I've been wanting to do a curriculum all these years, and, and that's what prompted me to do the documentary actually. And we do have children in the documentary as well, as you know, but um, but it's really important. It's called Out of the Box: uh, The Adventures of Sue F.O. Field Observer and Hugh H.U.G.H. Hugh F.O. and he's a little alien, and we have uh, been working with wonderful uh, cast of, of people, a uh, Disney illustrator um, who's made a wonderful workbook as well as based on the Phoenix Light sighting, by the way. Um, and uh, a teacher that, that is just so dear to my heart, Kate uh, Hooker, who has a pilot program that she's been working with the kids and they've been helping us to develop some of the activities uh, in the in the classroom. And I'm just going to put this out there. We are now looking for someone that can transform these wonderful activities, the history and crop circles and math with the crop circles and art and uh, critical thinking, I mean, such wonderful activities, into games or apps. Apps for the kids, so if there's anybody out there that's listening that might have that expertise and be interested in getting involved in this very very underlined 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 groundbreaking project, um please please contact me through my website or through the Phoenix Lights Network Facebook page because this is really important I mean, as you said, kids are so open to this when I asked. Uh these two hundred uh students who believes that they're that we're alone in the universe, not one hand went up. When I said, "Who believes it we're not alone in the universe, they couldn't get their hands up fast enough. Mm-hmm. um they really thirst for this knowledge and they're our future and they and they they understand i mean they you know to them it's a no brainer that <laughs> we're not alone in the universe. they just want to learn more about it and they want to learn the credible um you know data that's out there, so that's why we're we're getting this together so that's that's the next step is this uh, curriculum, so we have the book and uh, the documentary uh, now that's, that have lives of their own and uh, and the website, certainly, and now we're working on the uh, curriculum. So I hope I hear from somebody out there that might be interested in getting involved. But in the meantime, there's lots of information for people to, to enjoy and learn and grow if they choose. Well, that sounds absolutely wonderful. And uh
2: <laughs> be really excited to see it myself, actually. <laughs> it sounds fantastic. Um, I know... Lynn, that we, we did squeeze you in um into your very tight time schedule. Um I just wanted to check in with you in terms of how much time we've got left with you because um I know when we arranged this you said probably an hour would be as much as you could manage. We have got the show set up for an hour and a half, but I didn't want to um keep going with this. If if you need to go, Lynn. Well, I
3: I can I can talk for a little bit more. I actually, if you're interested, can get into what happened when my our close sighting photographs were analyzed by Navy optical physicist Dr. Bruce McAbee, if, you, if you'd if you like, and the conclusion that he came to that I still can't wrap my head around and kept private for over a dozen years, but finally sharing in the latest uh, edition of my book, if you'd like.
2: Yeah, that would be wonderful. And also, you know, what we were talking about, was what you've learned as well about other phenomena since you um, witnessed the Phoenix flight I think Bill just wants to put in a quick word before we head off into that subject. I was just going to say, Lynn, am I
1: on mute? Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. I was just going to say, Lynn, I off and mute and then forget. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say that um, we are vaguely in the background just starting to uh, think about another festival, and I'm very much hopeful that our schedules all meet because your presentation at the Festival of Enlightenment was incredible. And all of the time that has gone by and all of work you're doing and all of the things you're doing would be brilliant to have you involved in that. And Jan and I are, interestingly enough, um, I was kind of of researching ahead doing the logistics of the trip and got all excited to see that we were going to be in the same town as John Fogarty and who could maybe do a concert. But when I got down to California, I saw we were actually going to be in the area during the MUFON conference. And we've never done one of those. And I was just going to ask your opinion. Um we did Roswell. It seems to me logical that maybe we should get tickets and go to that conference and, and learn well, some you more. Know, what
3: if I you, can, what yeah, do you think? Yeah, if I, yeah, if I can... See, get, MUFON is terrific. They They put on wonderful uh conferences in fact I spoke at several uh in the past but uh last last summer I actually spoke at the uh, uh international symposium in uh Philadelphia um as well and, and really uh got into the you know how the story was all about the media which was perfect for the Phoenix Lights because it's been so out there in the media and I'm gonna be addressing that again at the Contact in the Desert um um festival which is at the uh, end of May, the last weekend in May, which is also a wonderful, wonderful um venue and and very similar to and yours actually. Um
0: where is it? Um, it's called
3: Contact in the Desert and it's gonna be in Palm Springs. If you go on on, uh, Facebook, they have a page there, Contact in the Desert, and also um, uh, there's links on the Phoenix Lights Network page where you can check that out um it's really wonderful i mean your 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 festival was fabulous and i and just being in evergreen colorado and and the people involved were were amazing um this one is too uh and that's coming up first that's coming up the end of of may and then i believe in september is the mufon and that should be terrific too uh so i i would recommend that as well mutual ufo network uh, is an organization which, um, I have to say at the, at the, when I first came forward, um, they were more interested in the nuts and bolts of, of ufology and they've come a long way too. Uh, especially the people here in Arizona, Tracy, Stacey and, uh, Jim who are the directors of the Arizona MUFON group, um, get it. I mean, they know that it's much more than just the nuts and bolts, that we really have to address how these phenomena are affecting people and uh, you know, really the consciousness level of of, uh, unexplained phenomena, which is another thing that people are just starting to address I mean, I've been addressing it for 11 years now uh, with my book um, because I really get into that aspect uh, in The Phoenix Lights of Skeptic's Discovery that we are not alone, but uh, more and more ufologists are starting to realize that it's not just the nuts and bolts aspect of these phenomena. It's really how they're affecting people worldwide. And I think the Phoenix Lights really, really had uh, one of the most profound uh, and powerful impacts in that behalf. They really, really have changed the consciousness. And by the way, you don't have to have an up experience like the Phoenix Lights or other unexplained phenomena experience to have this positive transformation that I'm talking about, all you need to do is open your heart and your mind and learn about it (laughs) and really study it, And, and it will seep in, I promise you. You'll start realizing not only the plethora of history and credible data that's out there, but also the fact that you'll start recognizing serendipities and you'll start realizing that there is so much more out there and we're capable of so much more as human beings to make this world a better world. Okay, and this is an important time in our history where that really that message really needs to get out there because um there is so many negative energies happening right now on our planet and uh, you know we need to turn that around and that's only going to happen with each individual person really gra- you know grabbing this this positive energy and within themselves and, and getting those energies out there, I've seen it in medicine, uh, and I go into this in the in the book too. I mean, it, it, our energies affect not only us and our bodies, but also everybody around us. It's like a pebble thrown into a lake. I mean, it it just keeps going and going and going. The ripples keep going and going and going, and affecting not only the people around you, but the energy around you, and the, and and other people, uh, and the, our world. So, you know, I, I really think the Phoenix Lights prompted uh, you know, the, the the positive energies that we need to tap into and uh and, and, and have opened them up in so many people and have really awakened uh, that part of us that that is good and, and that is positive and that is, you know, something that we can really, really um, help change our world for the better. So, uh, you know, I think that's part of this whole, whole picture too. But, um, you know, look into that MUFON conference for sure. Wonderful people are involved with it. And they also have a show on, if anybody hasn't seen it yet, called Hangar One, um, where they go into a lot of the reports that they've had through the years and uh, in detail. Um, it's very entertaining and very informative. So um, I would recommend that as well. And, uh, you know, check out the Contact in the Desert uh, conference as well uh, in Palm Springs the last weekend in, in, uh, uh, in May.
2: Absolutely. Um and Lynn, I have to say, you know, that was wonderful what you were conveying there because we see it as part of our mission to raise awareness of this, to sort of support people in, um, you know, really opening up to a lot more than we've been taught to believe in. And I, I would ask the question, you know, this—you you link the the Phoenix Light sighting to the popularity of Independence Day. And the fact that that was very much focused on, um, you know, alien aggression and, you know, we have to defend ourselves against extraterrestrials and so on. I wonder whether part of the reason for that incredible sighting was to counteract the intention of generating fear about extraterrestrial life and UFOs to as part of the education process and the raising of consciousness so that there is a recognition that most extraterrestrials are benevolent, you know? Because she described it as very much of a spiritual experience um in witnessing the Phoenix lights and very different to what the Phoenix incident is trying to portray in this um over dramatic, you know, negative fear mongering um, agenda
3: no absolutely Jen I mean you are right on I mean that's you know, if anything, if anything came from the Phoenix Lights mass sighting, um, other than to waking us up that we're not alone in the universe, whoever they are and wherever they're from, um, you know, and it wasn't military. Okay, uh, is the fact that you know we it really tapped into this this higher consciousness and has really accelerated so many people to a higher consciousness um, than than you know anything they've they've experience in their whole life. So, um, absolutely, I think that's part of this and 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 as I mentioned, I mean there hasn't been one report of harm, threat or abduction associated with the Phoenix flight. And I can't speak for other things out there and I know that people there are people out there that have had experiences that to them are not positive. And that's another side of the story. I'm not uh, you know, it's it's not my expertise to get into the whole abduction thing in fact, uh my very first presentation and I was I almost backed out of it because uh it was with Dr. John Mack, who was an abduction specialist from Harvard. Um, but how could I? He was the premier, um, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning authority. And, you know, I thought to myself, Hey, you know, if uh uh you know, if my data can conform, can actually confirm that we are being visited, and you know to go the next step he he actually shared with me shortly before he was unfortunately uh killed in in london like just months later um walking down the street uh crossing the street after he presented there um that he was writing a book and and his other books he also delves into this that when people have an experience um not only is it real to them but you know because just what you were saying John just because we are not being told that it's real we're not being uh we don't have a reference for these experiences, we don't have, um, uh, you know, the the comfort zone of of knowing. And I think that's also what's been happening the last sixty years since Roswell. Is that you know, little information has gotten out there to get us ready. But be that as it may, um, you know, we're when we have an experience. Like that, and who knows what their agenda might be? whoever's doing this, if they if the abduction phenomena is is real, and um you know these people are coming back so terrified what he said, Dr. Mack, after years of studying and and having um patients that have come full circle and realized that it wasn't meant to hurt them. It was they actually form a relationship with these other beings, um, a loving relationship. And, you know, who knows why they're doing this. Perhaps just like we're plucking out almost extinct animals, um and, and uh, you know, looking to see how they're doing and trying to help them survive. Um, perhaps, you know, and, and putting uh any kind of um uh, you know, GPS or whatever we're doing with, with certain animals. I mean, maybe they're doing that to us because we're gonna destroy ourselves. Who knows what the what the premise of that might be if it's real. Um and I and I put that in, in because we don't know. I mean it's it's so mysterious, uh, that we don't know. But the point is that people that you know profess that they've had these experiences. Even Travis Walton, if you've ever heard of him, he he was taken up aboard a ship allegedly 40 years ago. They were celebrating the 40th anniversary, and I just presented with him, actually. Uh, he was at our anniversary sold-out showing of the documentary that we have every year um, to celebrate the Phoenix Lights um, anniversary in March. And, uh, and I'll be speaking with him also at the Contact in the Desert uh, conference, uh, he has said that, you know, initially, I mean, he was frightened. I mean, and, and the movie certainly portrays that. I mean, the movie called Fire in the Sky, just like this Phoenix Incident movie, really gets into the scary aspects of all that. But he said it wasn't like that at all. He, for real. I mean, he he was actually under this craft out in the forest with other loggers, which he was a logger at the time in his 20s, and suddenly they see this ship, and he goes running underneath it, in a late. Shot out from it, and actually threw him like ten feet, and he was just like laying there and the the guys got so freaked out that they ran away and when they came back, he was gone, and he was he disappeared for five days and when he came back, he was on a road you know with a near a telephone and he called for help and you know it was all construed that while he was on the ship because he when he was on the ship and he woke up i mean just imagine being on a strange you know, environment, and you have beings that you're not familiar with around you. Um, The the movie portrays it as a horrifying experiment, but in his mind, he thinks perhaps he had a heart attack because of the light that threw him, and they were actually helping and healing him, because to this day he has been extremely healthy. And, you know, that's a whole story in in itself. So, you know, he's only one example of, of so many. So as far as the abduction scenario and the frightening scenario, like John Mack was writing this book uh, that he never got to finish that it comes full circle that even people that initially were frightened and 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 scared from that whole experience came to realize that the beings were there to uh to help them and to to have a relationship with them, and it was a very spiritual experience so um you know uh you know you put that into the mix. And you know, hopefully, it will continue to be a, a spiritual and a positive experience for people worldwide as we become more and more known by different entities out there. Because that's, you know, that's bound to happen too. So you know, we can we can talk about that issue. But I wanted to get back to, if you if I can, because I know we only have a short short amount of time now well, to to talk about the uh, the analysis of the ninety five sighting. Did you have another question? I, I'm sorry.
2: If I could just uh, pause for a moment. We sure. have, Bill tells me we actually have a caller on the line. Um so I wonder whether you'd be um happy to sure. take a question if, if they have one for you. hmm Okay, go ahead Bill. Uh, okay.
1: Um caller nine one six, um, Eric Hook nine one six if you're there. Um, do you have a question for Lynn?
2: No, I'm just listening. Okay. <laughs> oh, of okay. I'm glad, I'm right. glad that well, you see.
3: are
0: because so we're gonna get you into some <laughs> I didn't okay. Talk to you. Yeah.
1: Well.
3: okay, we're okay, gonna well, get into um you know, another aspect of this that kind of uh speaks to what we're we're talking about. Um, you know, the ninety five sighting, the closed sighting really touched me very personally and obviously I've been inspired to do what I'm doing for whatever reason and I saw these things up close and personal and photographed them. I could not be talking to you right now if I hadn't Photograph these things in 35 millimeter, which cannot be, you know, changed. I mean, it's there in the negative. Um, and, and analyzed extensively at university and military uh, levels by optical physicists and experts and so forth. And across the board, all of my pictures have been documented as, as true unknowns. Um, be that as it may, a year after the mass sighting, we had another sighting here. That was quite spectacular, and I have footage of that in the documentary, and we talk about it in the documentary. It was a 40-mile-wide straight lines and mirror images, and uh, the final thing was a giant pyramid of a triangle. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And I had actually seen some lights come back um, after a year of not seeing them uh, the night before and alerted the other people that had taken video, which serendipitously, again, were located north, south, east, and west to be on the ready with their cameras. And we all shot the same uh, sighting uh, for 20 minutes. I mean, it was just spectacular. So I had something in my hand, which I did not have – in 1997 because, uh, as I mentioned, two of us took video, actually there were three of us, one a little earlier, uh, before 10 o'clock, and the boomerang videos were after 10 o'clock, which is significant because the boomerang videos are the ones that have been controversial for flares, be that as it may. Uh, Now, because they were all different times, that it could not be triangulated. Whereas when we all took video, at the same time, that could be triangulated. And I was told that this wonderful physicist, Navy optical physicist, Dr. Bruce McAbee, who's very well respected in the field, um, may analyze them, so I send the videos to him. And as an afterthought, I stuck in the first and the last picture, which I have on the Phoenix Lights uh, Network website photo page, um, to see what he thought. I mean, I wanted to know what these were, if he we could decipher what the uh, unknowns were, the up-close and personal unknowns. And he calls me back a couple weeks later, and he said, uh, you told me that that close sighting back in 95, no, this was 98, um, was two to three minutes. And I said, that's what I remember. He said, ask your husband to confirm it. Now, as I mentioned, people react differently to these phenomena, and some people you know, can't deal with it, some people don't want to deal with it, and that's okay, everyone in their own time. Well, my husband, from day one, he was inside, I was outside taking the pictures, would not talk about it. He would get agitated when I brought it up, and I kind of just laid it to rest. So I, would, I thought it was awesome and wondrous and unbelievable. He would not talk about it, but Dr. Macabee said, You've got to confirm this. So I sat him down. I said, we don't have to talk about it, but tell me how long you think that sighting was in 95. He said, two to three minutes. I said, fine. I go back to Dr. McAbee, and he said, that's impossible. I said, what do you mean? Now he was the first person to, uh, and he meticulously analyzed those pictures, to recognize that the same phenomena was in the same location in the background, <laughs> disappearing when we were focused on the, on the close orbs. But he said, even more important, look at the skyline. I said, okay. And he says, there are many lights on, groups of lights on, in the first picture that are off. In the last picture, he said, that doesn't happen in two to three minutes. He said, I'd like you to do an experiment. He said, stand out on the balcony, possibly the same place you were in 95, and capture the the, uh, skyline uh, one night every hour, the next night every half hour, and I actually did it another night every 15 minutes to see when the lights, when these groups of lights go out. Now, I usually take a bath between 7 and 8 when we're home. So let's be conservative and say eight o'clock. The groups of lights start sorry going out at nine o'clock, and the last picture is indicative of ten thirty, eleven o'clock. Now, he says to me, and I couldn't wrap my head around this. I, he says to me, "Can I present this case uh, at the upcoming nineteen ninety nine MUFON?" Uh, international Symposium in Washington, D.C., and I said, Dr. Maccabee, you know, this is your baby, you're the one that discovered this data, run with it, but please keep my name anonymous, which he was kind enough to do, as were a handful of people that knew that I had the data that I had. I said anonymous for seven years, but anyway, he was kind enough to do that, presented the case, and comes back to me. And what he did in 1999 was present the data and concluded that it wasn't just minutes between the first and last picture. There were hours, and that it it really is the first 35-millimeter photographic evidence ever of missing time. Mm. Now, I still can't get my head around it because what I shared with you earlier is what I remember. I don't remember... The last light going out, I remember going inside, looking at a clock. I don't remember anything except what I I shared with you. But the fact is that the reason I'm sharing it now in the latest edition of the book is because we've come such a long way. We can finally actually look at the data, and hopefully science will look at the data, and it will help open that door a little bit, particularly about time, because linear time, past, present, and future – It's our concept of time. It's pretty primitive. Time probably is not really what we think it is, and maybe this data can help in that behalf. And the other thing is that quantum physics and quantum mechanics is starting to catch up, talking about the string theory and bubble theory, that there could be 10 or 11 different dimensions out there along with ours. Well, if that's true and there are other times and spaces along with ours, then why is it such a leap to think that there could be other intelligences in those other times and spaces that we get glimpses of if we're open to them or invited? And that's why I'm sharing the the data now because hopefully that will open the door a little bit more for people to realize that linear time is not what true time is and that there is so much more out there, not just other planets, also other spaces, along with ours, where there could be other intelligences that, again, we get glimpses of if we're open to them or invited. So that's why I'm sharing it now, and I I thought you would find that a little interesting.
2: (laughs) Absolutely, yes. And, I mean, so much of our belief system is being challenged at the moment because we've we've been conditioned into thinking things are so much simpler (laughs) than they actually are. And uh, some of this is hard to get your ha- head around. I must say, you know, some of the quantum physics is is uh, pretty mind-blowing because it defies the logic that we've been um, being taught is our reality.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So what I'd like to ask you now, um, Lynn, just uh, just as a kind of winding up session, as we've got about hmm. five minutes left of the show... Is is there any particular message that you'd like to share with our listeners in relation to the work that you've you've done and you know the conclusions that you've drawn and and that might inspire people to you know look further into this?
3: Well, I really appreciate uh, you asking that. Firstly, You know, I just hope, and that's why I I came forward after seven years of anonymity, is just to get the information out there, set the record straight, um, let the data speak. I mean, if I can be a credible voice so that people actually look, the data, then I've done my job. So I, I hope people will actually look at it. Go, please go on the website. It's free. I mean, there's it's packed with information. Um, you know, I hope you pick up the book. It's available at most libraries and um, certainly on Amazon.com and, and Kindle uh, and, and Barnes and Noble. You know, Amazon I think has the best discount. Um, if you want to have a the, the hard book in your hand or Kindle, um, even if you don't have a Kindle, they can send it to you in a in cloud. Um, and the documentary uh hear it from the people themselves. I mean, we've won over a dozen international uh film festival awards, which is unheard of for a documentary, particularly one of this genre, and we're so proud of that and i'm 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 so honored to have the people involved that are that are in it. they have really gotten the the truth out there um the witnesses the experts and, and so forth it's uh it's very compelling and 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 very important and certainly the um the curriculum that we're working on now uh is is just as if not more important to help the next generation learn and grow and as far as the message goes and i think this is also part of the phoenix lights mass sighting um because there is a message that is being given worldwide during unexplained phenomena experiences, during ups. And you'll hear time and time again, the near-death experiencers come back with the same exact message, to wake up to what we're doing to our planet and to ourselves before it's too late. And I really, really hope people heed that message.
2: Thank you, Lynn. That's brilliant. And, and yet, yeah, this kind of thing has to change one person at a time and that's why our mission is to make people realize the power that they have in influencing you know how this world turns out just in their in their consciousness in their choices and in their actions and behavior so Really inspiring message. And I'm, I'm so grateful for you coming along to the show today and sharing such fantastic information with us. And it was at fairly short notice as well. So <laughs> really appreciate the time that you've um, taken to share all this with us. And well, hope that you know, we can have you back again um, to a, a show in the future to share some more of that um, fascinating information with us. And as Bill said, we hope to have you back at the next festival.
3: Well, that that they, would be wonderful, uh, and I totally agree with, with you, Janet, that, uh, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, and I think that's part of the Phoenix Lights. They're touching one person at a time. You hit the nail right on the head, and that's why, you know, you can't depend on the military or the government to take care of this this evolution uh it's happening one person at a time. And uh it'll be interesting to see what our what our future holds and I look forward to uh to talking with you guys in the future and, and hopefully you'll have another festival. It was wonderful and uh I look forward to that too and thank you so much for letting letting me share to one person at a time. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh
1: thank you, Lynn. Thank you. I will have to honestly say when we met you in Boulder and saw your first presentation, and then had you at the festival, we we both not only fell in love with your message, but we fell in love with you. You're a good, positive energy, and the whole world um, needs to see that. And for those, I won't I won't go off on a track here, but for those who don't know it, um, Lynn's background also includes being in some very substantial movies as a movie star. So. If you'd like to delve into that, some really good films. One of my favorites is in there that she did with Nicholas Cage. But I'm going to leave you to research that on your own there. But, Lynn, we do love you, and we do look forward to meeting up again and also, as Tim said, having you on the show. And I cannot express enough gratitude to you for coming in on such short notice. Thank you. Oh, well, you're
3: really, really sweet. Thank you. And, uh, you know, another message out there, which I say all the time, is keep looking up. <laughs> but it's a double exactly. entendre, if you know what I mean. <laughs> keep looking <laughs> up. Okay. We'll, t- we'll talk to you guys soon, okay? Thank you very okay, much. Thank you again, Okay, bye-bye now. bye okay, thank, thank you, to you. everybody.
1: Bye-bye. And thank you to everybody listening live and those who come later to listen to the archives. We really appreciate you and we hope you really enjoyed the show today. And I just remind you, Lynn's um website is the Phoenix Lights dot net. I'm sorry, let me correct that. I apologize. It's the dot net is Lynn's website. Um and our websites are a dot org and festival of dot com. And the events we're doing in the Denver area and all through uh, about 30 cities on this particular tour are being posted up on asmilingworld.org forward slash events. So we hope to see you live and in person at one of the events. And as Jan always says, please do let us know if you'd like to have us come visit your town so we can get that worked into this very long roadshow. And with that, I'm going to leave you with another legend, and that is Mr. Willie Nelson, still performing in his 80s. Bless him. With our kind of our theme song here of this journey, on the road again. So here you go with Willie. One, two, one, two, three, four. Five, four five, five, five,
4: five. On the road again. we